Chapter 2 There were certain things that he still knew. Link reflected, as he and the old man began down the hill towards the location the old man had spoken of. He still knew how to speak, for example. He certainly knew how to walk and perform basic functions. He understood what certain things were. As a bird flitted across their path, he understood that it was, in fact, a bird. He wasn't sure of its kind, but he wasn't sure if that was due to his memory loss or just a lack of knowledge of that particular species. Other things seemed right to him. When the woman had referred to him as Link, it had initially felt unfamiliar. Yet, in his conversation with the old man, he had found that the name Link seemed to suit him. He wondered if that was more out of desperation for something to hang on to, rather than any real familiarity with the name. However, when Link tried to remember any particular events from his past, he came up empty. He did not know what his surname was, if he even had one. He did not know from which land or province he came from, though the man remarked that his pointed ears, like the man's own ears, likely marked him as a resident of Hyrule. Or, at least, he was Hylian. Link just wished that the term meant something to him. As they made their way down the hill, the dirt path eventually gave way to a partially buried stone path. Glancing behind, Link could see that there were indications that the stone path had once stretched all the way up to the chamber he'd awoken in. He looked back at the man. I woke up in that chamber up the hill. You have no thoughts on why that was? Or what it is for? For a time, the old man did not respond and the only sound between them was a soft, rhythmic tapping of his staff on the cobblestones. Finally, he spoke. This place is very old. The Temple of Time has stood for millennia, and some legends claim that this isn't even its original site. He looked at Link. That Sheikah Cave has likely been around for just as long, its purpose lost long ago. But someone must know what it is, and why I was in it, Link said, gripping the hilt of the sword tightly through the cloth. Is there anyone else that lives around here? Besides me? The old man looked over his shoulder at Link, thick eyebrows raised. No one. Not unless you count the Bokoblins. I'm not even sure when or how they arrived, actually. And you've not seen anyone else up here. Link felt an increasing sense of irritation at the old man, and more than a little suspicion. No one but you, young man, the man replied. Not for many years. So why do you stay here? The old man fell silent for a time, his eyes drawn to the distant Temple of Time. That's neither here nor there, he said finally. He turned back to Link, and smiled solemnly. I certainly do not think my story will be as interesting as yours. 
Link met his eyes, and was surprised to see a glimpse of pain behind the blue-green eyes of the old man. Deep sorrow. There was something else that Link couldn't place his finger on. You never told me your name. The old man smiled, the skin around his eyes wrinkling. No, I didn't. As their eyes remained locked, Link opened his mouth to respond, to press him for information that he was clearly hiding. But then he caught a glimpse of movement behind the old man's back. In one fluid motion, Link stepped forward, grabbing the man by the arm and thrusting him back behind him. With his other hand, he brought the wrapped sword up over his head, just in time to block an overhead blow by an ugly-looking club, wielded by an even uglier-looking creature. The creature was faintly pig-like, with a large snout, red skin, and beady blue eyes. It had large ears to either side of its head, a mouth with multiple sharp teeth, and a single, stubby horn on the top of its head. It was shorter than Link, and looked malnourished, with visible ribs showing on its torso. It only wore a loincloth, but the wooden club it wielded looked sturdy. Bowcoblin, he suspected, based on what the old man had said. He pushed the bowcoblin back, causing it to stumble backward with an angry cry. Link took another step forward, swinging his covered sword at the creature's head, but it scurried backward, screeching angrily at him. Gritting his teeth, he pushed forward, holding the sword in both hands. The bowcoblin suddenly lunged forward, swinging his club at Link's side. Moving by instinct alone, he parried the blow, catching the club, and then swept his sword upwards. The maneuver broke the bowcoblin's grip, and the club was sent spiraling through the air. He gripped the sword with two hands and cleaved it to the side, catching the bowcoblin square in the ribs. It folded around the cloth-wrapped blade and collapsed on the ground. Due to the wrapping, the blade didn't cut the creature, though the place where the blade struck looked to be already turned an angry purple color. The bowcoblin scrambled to its feet, holding its side and backing away quickly, its other hand raised defensively. It began to yell at Link in an unknown guttural tone, pointing its finger accusatorily. Link narrowed his eyes and took another step towards it. Link, no! The old man yelled. Too late. Two more bowcoblins, one red and another dark inky blue, burst out from behind a small broken wall just behind where the first bowcoblin had fallen. The red one was wielding another club, this one larger and held with two hands, while the blue one had a sword, a much nicer looking sword than Link's own. The red bowcoblin wielding the larger club swung it, and Link's momentary surprise at seeing them prevented him from deflecting or dodging the blow. He managed to block it with his sword, but the force of it wrenched the sword painfully in his hands, and he stumbled back several steps. The bowcoblins had no intention of giving up their advantage. The red one broke into an awkward run. The club it held was large and heavy-looking for such a scrawny creature. Still, it was clear that the bowcoblin was stronger and it must have looked, because it was difficult for Link to parry its heavy blows. He deflected the next one into the ground, but then the previous bowcoblin, having recovered its club, rejoined the fight. He took a painful blow to his shoulder, causing him to hiss in pain and back away quickly. He backed down the hill, placing the three bowcoblins above him. The blue bowcoblin was, for the moment, content to wait for the other two to attack. Their leader, perhaps. The bowcoblin with the large club swept out toward Link's feet, and he reacted again with instinct. Springing into a backflip, he easily leaped over the club 
but landed unsteadily. This, at least, coupled with the looks of surprise on the two Bokoblins' faces, gave him enough time to remove the cloth from his sword. The reactions from the twin Bokoblins were immediate. The Bokoblin with the shorter club immediately screeched something in excitement and rushed towards Link, swinging his club wildly. It clearly wanted Link's sword. The other Bokoblin did as well, and surprisingly, swept the legs out from under the other Bokoblin with its larger club. It too, then rushed him, actually running onto its fallen brethren's back and leaping off of it. It yelled in its guttural tongue and tried to bring its heavier club down on Link's head. Link sidestepped and brought his sword up in a quick slice. As he drew his sword across the Bokoblin's exposed belly, he felt a brief moment of resistance, and then his blade was free. The Bokoblin screeched and hit the ground with a bloody roll, its club clattering to the ground several feet away. It did not get back up again. The other Bokoblin did not take its fellow's dispatch very well. Leaping to its feet, it ran at him, swinging its club furiously. Link parried the first blow, and felt something in his sword give way. Firming his jaw, he dodged the next attack, leaping to the side. The Bokoblin stumbled, having overcommitted in its swing, and Link thrust his sword into the Bokoblin's back. The Bokoblin spluttered, purple blood spraying from its mouth, and dropped its club. Link pulled the sword free and kicked the Bokoblin, sending it rolling down the hill to join its brother. Breathing heavily, Link looked at his handiwork in some surprise. Two enemies felled. He glanced at the bloodied sword in his left hand. It gave him some pause to consider that he had been victorious in such odds. He glanced back at the old man, who still stood some ways off, watching him with keen eyes. Link had reacted so quickly, pulling him away from danger and placing himself between the man and the Bokoblins. Perhaps in the past. The third Bokoblin screamed in fury and thrust its sword towards Link's back. Spinning, he managed to knock the initial blow aside, but it quickly became apparent that this Bokoblin was more skilled in combat than its red-skinned brethren. It held its sword in one hand, and in its other hand, a roughly hewn wooden shield. Great, he thought, as he swung his sword towards the blue Bokoblin's neck. The Bokoblin lifted its shield, catching Link's blade. With a sharp crack and an awful lurch, his sword snapped in two, just above the hilt. He stumbled forward, and just barely threw himself to the side in time to avoid being run through by the eager Bokoblin. Link took several more steps back as the Bokoblin advanced, a disgusting leer playing across its lips. Casting around for anything to defend himself with, he spotted the club that the initial Bokoblin had been wielding. Glancing back at the blue Bokoblin, he met his eyes briefly before breaking into a sprint. The creature yelled angrily and gave chase, but too slowly. Link snatched up the club and spun around, just in time to block a swing that could have decapitated him. He responded by swinging his club at the Bokoblin's head, but it managed to get its shield up just in time. He attempted to hit the Bokoblin again, but found the shield in the way once more. Before he could get a third attempt, he was forced to parry the Bokoblin's sword again. The monster no longer leered at him, but appeared enraged. He struck out, hitting the shield with as much force as he could muster. Like its companions, however, the Bokoblin was stronger than it looked and kept its balance. It thrust forward, its blade coming dangerously close to Link's abdomen as he dodged at the side. Time seemed to slow as Link saw his opening. 
The Bokoblin's arm extended out, sword thrust forward into open air. The Bokoblin had overextended itself in order to finish the fight. It realized its mistake too late, as Link brought his club down onto the Bokoblin's extended sword arm. Bone crunched under the force of his blow, and the sword clattered to the ground. Another sweep of his club caught the Bokoblin in the jaw, sending it stumbling back, looking dazed. Its sword arm was clearly broken. Link picked up the sword and advanced toward the injured Bokoblin. There was a brief moment of hesitation as the Bokoblin looked at the sword. Then the Bokoblin turned and ran, screaming and holding its arm. It ran in the direction of the Temple of Time, and he wondered if more Bokoblins had taken up residence in the old structure. He was just beginning to consider heading into the Temple of Time to deal with the remaining Bokoblins when he heard the old man's approach. He turned and found the old man walking up towards him, his walking staff clicking the ground with each step. Clearly you must have been a warrior of some renown, if your skills with the blade are any indication, he said as he stepped up to Link. He eyed the sword for a moment, and then nodded thoughtfully. That looks like an old Hyrulean soldier's blade. See the sigil on the pommel? Rare to see one in such good condition these days. Link glanced down at his blade, and found what appeared to be a bird with outstretched wings underneath a trio of triangles stacked together to form one large triangle stamped into the pommel. He stared at the sigil, frowning. It seemed to mean something to him. Without thinking, he stood taller and held his head up higher. Then he noticed the old man watching him, and he relaxed again, lowering his sword arm. He wished he had a proper sheath. Considering this, he walked over to the wall that the Bokoblins had been hiding behind. Had they just been lying in wait to ambush him? But no. He found the remnants of a small encampment. It was clear that they had been in the process of eating a meal of what looked to be a mutilated rabbit, only partially cooked over the embers of a fire. A few possessions littered the site, mostly crude trinkets made of wood or bone, but Link only paid attention to the worn scabbard leaning against the wall. He picked this up, noting that it had a generous loop attached to it. He slid the sword into its sheath, and then slung the scabbard on his back. It took a few adjustments, but he found that he was able to comfortably unsheathe the sword from this position. Stepping back out from behind the wall, Link approached the old man. How long ago did you say Hyrule fell? Oh, it's been some time now, the old man said. A century, perhaps. Link's heart sank. That disproved his own suspicions of his past. He frowned and looked out across the plateau and plains below it, towards the distant castle. A century. One hundred years. What caused it to fall? Calamity, was all the old man said before turning and continuing down the hill. Link watched him, noting that he seemed to walk with a slightly more hunched-over posture than before. Pursing his lips, and feeling frustrated by his lack of knowledge, he fell into step behind the man. Most of their remaining walk down the hill was done in silence. On the way down, they passed the remnants of a large courtyard, with a broken fountain in the center. Surrounding it were several more destroyed buildings. Some lacked roofs, while others had massive chunks of their walls shattered, as if a large creature had simply burst through the house. Thankfully, 
Either no Bulkoblins were in the area, or those that were decided they were not worth attacking. As they walked, Link found himself often gazing back up at the Temple of Time. The structure had obviously fared better than the buildings surrounding it. While he could see that the panes of glass that used to fill its windows had mostly been shattered, and there were definite signs of disrepair, from Link's perspective, the building mostly still looked whole. At least, it still had a roof. There, the old man said, stopping at the bottom of what appeared to be another courtyard. Link stopped beside him, frowning. The path they had been on continued to the left some ways until it dropped into a deep pool of water surrounded by the remnants of an old stone structure. The man, however, pointed one finger to the right at what appeared to be a large pile of boulders. Link followed his gaze, frowning. He looked back at the old man, who lowered his hand and looked at him expectantly. I will stay here if you don't mind. I need to rest. He rested his staff against the remnants of an old foundation, and then eased himself down onto it. Besides, I think I have had enough excitement for one day. Uncertain about what that meant, Link eyed the man, and then turned, walking toward the pile of rocks. He kept a wary eye out as he crossed the old courtyard, keeping an eye out for any would-be attackers. On the way down, he'd spotted some crudely made arrows sticking out of a tree, and he did not want to be the target of a bow-coblin archers if he could help it. As he approached the rocks, he soon found that there was a small hollow in the center of the stone. It looked as if there had been a building there once, a gazebo of sorts, perhaps, that had been covered over with stone. Eventually that rock had been broken to reveal the hidden interior again. Link stepped up to the hollowed-out rock, and was surprised to see a pedestal much like the ones inside the chamber he'd woken up in. It glowed orange from a pattern of curves and straight lines on its surface. The surface was segmented into a few concentric rings, with the center one raised slightly. The raised ring had a hollow that looked to match his Sheikah slate. He glanced back at the old man, who still sat upon the broken wall watching him. Finally, he unhooked the Sheikah slate from his belt and placed it into the hollow. For a moment, nothing happened. Then, the Sheikah slate and pedestal both flashed with an orange light which quickly subsided. The raised center ring sunk into the rest of the pedestal until it formed a smooth, flat surface with the Sheikah slate in its center. Link saw that text had appeared on the face of the Sheikah slate again. Sheikah tower activated. Please watch for falling rocks. Falling rocks? Before Link could react further, the ground under his feet began to tremble. It began as a low rumble, but grew into violent shaking. He stumbled, and then he lost his balance completely, falling painfully onto his backside. The rock that surrounded the structure cracked and crumbled, falling away in large chunks. Some of the stone directly overhead fell onto the floor. The shaking did not fade, unfortunately. With an uncomfortable lurch in his stomach, he realized that the floor he was sitting on was in motion. The stone structure continued to fall away, as the platform Link was on began to rise into the air. He rolled over, remaining on his hands and knees, and watched with wide eyes as his platform continued to rise at a startling rapid pace. The platform he was on 
was shaped like a flat disc, open to the air with supports ringing on an inner circle that supported its roof. He cautiously crawled out from under the roof, closer to the edge, and looked down. The ground directly under and around the platform, the tower, now that he saw it more clearly, had cracked as it ripped up centuries-old rock and dirt. The old man had stood up from his wall, looking up at Link with an expression that could only have been astonishment. The tower continued to rise until, dizzyingly, Link found himself level with the Temple of Time's uppermost spire, where it shuddered to a stop. He couldn't accurately measure it, but he felt that he had to be hundreds of feet in the air. The old man was a mere speck at the base of the tower. A sound drew his attention upwards. Three arm-like appendages that had each laid flat against its small, conical roof suddenly stood up, pointing directly at the sky. At the same time, a shaft of blue light began at the base of the tower and traveled up its center until it reached the pedestal, which flashed a brilliant blue. Link noticed that the other parts of the tower were suddenly glowing with the blue light as well. Blue text that Link couldn't read formed a ring around the roof, and other strange symbols on the roof and floor glowed as well. It was that moment that Link noticed the strange rock that hung down from the center of the roof like a stalactite, directly over the pedestal and the Sheikah slate. Strange glowing symbols appeared on its black surface and traveled down its length, gathering near its tip. Link saw what looked like condensation forming there. The condensation, which glowed a brilliant blue, grew into a large drop, which then fell directly onto the Sheikah slate with a noticeable splash. Link stood up slowly, noting that the stone had gone dark, and approached the pedestal. As he did so, the ring at the center of the pedestal rose again, and the Sheikah slate was lifted to stand up straight. He saw a new text on its face. Additional functionality restored. Stasis rune. Functional. Magnesis rune. Repairs needed. Partially functional. Remote bond rune. Functional. Cryonis rune. Functional. Teleportation rune. Repairs needed. Non-functional. Camera rune. Repairs needed. Non-functional. Cartography mode. Functional. Telescope mode. Functional. Master cycle zero. Unable to detect. Non-functional. After a few seconds, the text disappeared, replaced by a new interface. Several colored squares formed a row across the center of the screen. Within each square was a similarly colored icon, though Link was uncertain of what any of them meant. Curiously, he reached toward the icon with the blue circle in the center. Remember. He jumped with a start at the sudden re-emergence of the woman's voice. Though he still heard it from in his head, it seemed to come from a certain direction this time. He spun around, and his eyes fell on the distant castle. A pale white light shone at its center, which pulsed as she spoke again. Try. Try to remember, Link. He stepped across the platform, staring at the pulsing light. Who are you? he said. Do you know who I am? Why I'm here? A pause. Then she spoke again. 
You have been asleep for the past one hundred years, she said, and he stumbled to a halt, all of the thoughts fleeing his mind. One hundred years? That wasn't possible. That couldn't be possible. I don't understand. What do you mean I've... The ground beneath his feet shuddered, and he braced himself. Was the tower going to sink back down again? Raise up higher? But no, the tower didn't move. The castle in the far distance, however, had changed some. A strange red-purple haze began to rise up from the ground around it. It swirled around the castle lazily, beginning to obscure the pale white. The beast, Link. I know you do not remember yet. But when the Calamity regains its full power, it will destroy everything. The woman's voice grew urgent, with a definite tone of strain. As he watched the castle, the haze began to take shape. It continued to swirl around the castle, but at its forefront, it began to solidify into a much darker shape. Though it was hard to make out from this distance, the fact that he could see any detail at all was a testament to the entity's enormity. It formed what looked almost like a creature's snout, with horns like a boar. It continued to take shape until a distinct pig-like head, though deformed, was visible at the forefront of the smoky haze. The beast opened its massive mouth, and the ground beneath his feet trembled again. He thought he could make out something like the distant sound of a thunderous roar. It continued to circle the castle, roaring again, and rising into the air above the central spire. Suddenly, the pulsing light at the center of the castle seemed to burst through the rising haze, and the creature's head broke apart, growing indistinct haze again. The haze sunk back towards the castle, as if the pale light absorbed it. It did not fade completely, and the red-purple haze continued to roil around the base of the castle, diminished. The creature was no longer visible, however, a fact that Link was very grateful for. I fear the Calamity has sensed something has changed. It presses even now to break free of its bonds, and I must do what I can to reinforce them. I do not wish for it to realize that you still live, but go. You must hurry, Link, before it's too late. In the center of the distant castle, the pulsing light faded away, and Link suddenly felt very, very alone.